the book of Ezekiel. Peter wrote his letter to the people of the dispersion, to both Jews and to Gentiles, referring to the Jews that had been at the time of the exile and to the Christians who were already being dispersed. He said of them, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Those who were present at that first advent of our Lord were a, certainly a blessed people, getting to see Jesus and to be with him and to touch him and to listen to what he said. Well, guess what? Those who are going to be present at the second advent of our Lord, who are going to come back with him in the clouds, are going to be a blessed people too. And Ezekiel tells us a lot about those things. Now, you're going to have to wait till the end of the study to get that part, okay? But we're going to see a lot of that. So far, we've studied two other major prophets. Sometimes they're called Isaiah and Jeremiah. This will be our third, Ezekiel. But we have broken the prophets up into pre-exile, exile, and post-exile. The pre-exile prophets were Isaiah and a bunch of minor prophets. Uh, the exile prophets are Jeremiah. Jeremiah actually was pre and into the exile. And then the exile prophets are Ezekiel, Daniel, and Obadiah. Post-exiles will be Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And we're almost through the whole Old Testament as a group. But let me give you just a little bit of history to kind of get you to the place where we are on the, on the calendar, on the timeline. You remember Jacob went down to Egypt with a family, and while he was there, the family grew, and he came out a nation. Israel wandered in the desert, and about 1400 B.C., they entered in and conquered the land. At 1000 B.C., David secured the land, brought the, brought the land under one control, and it, and it grew, and he turned it over to Solomon. Then the land started to divide the kings and the priests, and uh, the people did evil. The nation divides into Israel and Judah and declines. The prophets came on the, on the scene around 870 B.C. with Elisha and Elijah. Uh, about 722, Israel falls to the Assyrians, and there are dispersed the ten northern nations. This, the first exile of the Jews has taken place to Babylon with Daniel around 605 B.C. 597 B.C., the second exile, and Ezekiel are carried away to Babylon. And then in the future a little bit from where we are in our study, 586, Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed and the rest of the Jews are carried away to exile. So we're in that time when some of the people have already been exiled. Daniel's already down there. Ezekiel's now just getting there. Jeremiah's still up in Jerusalem and he's still uh, teaching up there and preaching up there and prophesying up there. It's during this time that Ezekiel comes on the scene and has been taken away to Babylon. You should read 2 Kings 24, 25, and Chronicles 36 to get a feel for these final days of the nation. It'll help you a lot to go through those times of the different kings that were there. Israel had, uh, Isaiah had warned the northern kingdom, and Jeremiah had, had warned the uh, nation of Judah. But as we saw, the people, they didn't listen, they didn't respond. And so they have been carried away. So you have the three prophets speaking all at the same time. Jeremiah, he's in Jerusalem. Daniel is in the capital 
and Ezekiel is out in the countryside. So you have three different prophets, all speaking to the people, all in different places. A brief outline of the book would look like this. The first three chapters, which we're going to look at tonight, would be Ezekiel's vision and his calling. The next 21 chapters is God's judgment on Jerusalem. Then 25 through 32 will be the judgment on all the nations. And then from 33 on is the future restoration of the nation of Israel and what happens in the world. And I can't wait to get there and to see a little bit into what's just around the corner for us. Ezekiel will emphasize the glory of God and the honor of his name and the sovereignty of God. The term, I am the Lord, is used 67 times, usually with, they shall know that I am the Lord. His sovereignty, one theologian wrote it like this, or what is sovereignty? He said it this way. The sum of God's sovereignty lies in this proposition, namely that God, the great God, blessed forever, has the absolute power and right of dominion over his creatures to dispose and determine to them as it seems good to him. The sovereignty of God. We serve a sovereign God. Psalms 24 says, The earth is the Lord and its fullness, the world and all those who dwell in it. We all belong to God. We're all his. Had the people honored the Lord, the Lord would have honored the people. But because they dishonored him, he's had to dishonor them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the examples that we find. We thank you for the story of redemption from the beginning to the end. And so, Lord, help us as we continue to read, to study, to learn, to comprehend. But most of all, Lord, I pray that we would get something we can use this week, something we can use in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 1. Let's read the first three verses. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, and on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were open and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim, it's captivity. The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel, the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kebar, and the hand of the Lord was upon me there. The 30th year, it's probably his 30th year. It could also be the 30th year of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar's father. It was, they both correspond, so you can take your pick on that one. I like it, the 30th year, because that's probably about the age that he was. And this would be the year of beginning a priesthood, according to Numbers. But he saw a vision. Back in Revelations chapter 4, John wrote about his vision like this. And after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here and I will show you things that must take place after this. And so we see that this doorway was open, this vision into heaven. In verse 2 it says, In the fifth year, the fifth year of Jehoiakim's captivity, was also the fifth year of Zedekiah's reign, and it was also the fifth year of Ezekiel's captivity in Babylon. So those things are tied together. 
one of the things we're going to see, if you remember when Brandon taught us about Jeremiah, he says Jeremiah was here and there and everywhere, back and forth, and really wasn't in much of an order. Ezekiel is just the opposite. He is in great order in the way that he's laid out the book. We're going to see probably six or seven times that he gives us those specific dates. So something happened on this date. A few chapters from now, we'll see another date. And so that's what took place in between these dates. We'll see that as we go through. Ezekiel was a priest, and according to Numbers 4.3, he would have to be at least 30 years old. And that the hand of the Lord was upon him. Ezekiel's name means God will strengthen. Have you ever felt the hand of God on you in your life? Have you ever felt him encouraging you to go one way or another, or not to go one way or the other? Have you ever resisted the hand of the Lord? Ezekiel is feeling the hand of the Lord right now as he's going to get this vision. Now, this vision has a lot of fun in it. It's, a, it's exciting. I don't think there's anything better for us to do than to read it. I'm sure you've all read it, and I'm sure you all have your opinions of what it is and what it was and how it works. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's look at the vision that Ezekiel saw when the uh, doors of heaven were opened for him. Verse 4. Then I looked, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north. A great cloud was raging, fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around. It, and radiation, it, radiation out of it in the midst, like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures, and there was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces, and each one had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of brushed bronze. The hand of a man were under their wings on all four sides, and each of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one straight forward. As for the likeness of their faces, each one had the face of a man. Each of the four had a face of a lion on the right side, and each of the four had a face of an ox on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces, their wings stretched upward, two wings on each, one touched one another, and two covered their bodies. And each one went straight forward, they went wherever the Spirit wanted them to go, and they did not turn when they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of it came the fire, went lightning. And the living creatures ran back and forth in appearance like a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, behold, a will was on the earth besides each living creature and its four faces. The appearance of the will and the workings was like the color of beryl, and all four had the same likeness. The appearance of their workings was, as it were, a will in the middle of a will. Verse 17. When they moved, they went towards any one of the four directions. They did not turn aside when they went. As for the rims, they were so high, they were awesome, and their rims were full of eyes all around the four of them. When the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them, and when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went. Because there the Spirit went, and the wheels were lifted together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went, and when those stood, these stood. 
And when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up together with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight one towards another. Each one had two which covered one side, and each one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of many waters, like the voice of the Almighty, a tumult, like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. A voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads. Whenever they stood, they let down their wings. And above the firmament, over their heads, was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like a sapphire stone, or the likeness of the throne was the likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw, as it were, the color of amber with the appearance of the fire all around within it, and from the appearance of his waist and downward I saw, as I were, the appearance of fire with brightness all around it. Like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. John's vision in Revelation chapter 4 has a lot of similarities to it and some differences to it. For example, it has six wings and these have four wings. We're going to try to figure all these details out and see what they mean here in a minute. Isaiah 6, 5 to 1, he had his vision of the Lord. You should read that as well. So have these three visions of God where they were, they, were all, they were all given to him. But how do we find the hidden meaning and all the details of these angelic visions? And how do we figure out the difference between six wings and four wings? And what are all these eyes spinning around in the, in the, in the wheels and those types of things? Why are some called cherubim and why are some called seraphim? Do you know that NASA has actually put together a picture of Ezekiel's vision with sketches, with calculations, and formula? We're not going there. And we're not going to figure out what the wings are all about either. We're not going to figure out, try to figure out what all those eyes are. A lot of people say, well, that's the omniscience of God. He's everywhere, all seen, all night. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things we can see in this. But what we have to really realize is that whatever Ezekiel saw, it was awesome. And it changed his life. When Isaiah had his vision, from that point on, he was a different prophet. And when John saw his vision, he has some pretty important things to say in the last... Um, 12 or whatever chapters it is of the book of Revelation. So I think it's really important for us to look at the awesomeness of the expression of Ezekiel. You remember when Paul was carried away into heaven and he heard things that he couldn't even utter? He wasn't even lawful for him to come back and say it. I think that's what's happened with these visions. I think they saw the glory of God, and as best they could, they tried to tell us what they saw. Now, the cherubim are interesting from the standpoint that cherubim have been with us since the third chapter of Genesis. They were the ones that the Lord sent to guard the tree of life. They have been with us since the tabernacle. They are on the ornaments inside the tabernacle. They were with us in the temple. They are on the veil. They are on the curtain. And, of course, you remember, they are above the ark. 
And every time the ark was carried into battle, the nation rejoiced and they won wars over this thing. So these angelic beings have a great significance to the nation of Israel and to us. But this is what Ezekiel saw. And then the second thing I think is important about this vision is the power and the energy that's being expressed. So a good exercise for you, you know, sometimes I like to give out homework. A good exercise for you is to go home, read this vision over three or four or five, ten times till you really get it, and then write it down in your own words. I would love you to turn that into me. This is the way I got it. This is what I saw. Um, usually, from time to time, I like to introduce you to a book. I've introduced you to Haley's Bible Handbook before. If you don't have it, it's like after your Bible, the next book you buy. If you don't have it, see Karen. Let her know. She will sign you up. We will be happy to get you a copy. It's a great little book with little paragraphs about chapters, sentences about things important. I'd like to read you what he wrote about this vision in kind of his terms because I thought he did a really, really good job. Ezekiel's vision. The living creatures are identified as cherubim back in chapter 10, verse 20. So we know that's what they were. They stood, one in the middle and one in, of a square. They outspread their wings, touching at the corners of the square. Each cherubim had four faces, the faces of a man looking outward from the square, and on his right, the face of a lion, and on his left, the face of an ox, and in the rear, looking towards the center of the square, the face of an eagle. There were four immense whirlings, wheels, one uh, beside each cherubim. The wheels appeared to be beryl, green precious stones, the rim was full of eyes. The fourfold living creatures moved like flashes of lightning from place to place with noise like the roar of the ocean. Above the living creatures was a crystal platform. On the platform, a throne of blue sapphire. On the throne, the likeness of a man, uh, watching it glowing with incandescent light, encircling it with a rainbow. It was all set within a vast storm cloud and whirling flashings of fire. This was the form in which God appeared to Ezekiel. It signified his glory, his power, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his sovereignty, his majesty, and his holiness. And so just to, that's the way he saw it. And again, if you've never seen one of these, you can look at it tonight, but we will be happy to get you one. It's something that you should have. But in these first parts of this um, vision, I think we see the providence of God being revealed to us. We know that the people are in captivity. Many have been carried away by Assyrians. Many have been carried away by the Babylonians, and they're in Jerusalem. They know that Jerusalem is being destroyed bit by bit. They don't know yet that it's going to be totally destroyed, but it will. The temple is going to be destroyed. The priesthood is about gone. The religion is about gone. The people are crying out for deliverance. So God starts Ezekiel's ministry with a great vision to convince him of his great power, his glory, his sovereignty. In other words, he's telling Ezekiel, I'm still in charge. Even though it doesn't look good down there, I'm still in charge. So who were these creatures? Ezekiel tells us later on that they were cherubim. And like I had talked to you, they guarded the tree of life and they were all over the um, temple and the tabernacle. I noticed in verse 20 that the spirit was in control. He was in control then, and he is still in control today. 
And then we can see this storm, the uh, throne in verses 22 to the end of the chapter. Far above the storm. Remember, this was being presented in the form of a whirlwind or a storm coming at them. The wheels, the creatures, the awesomeness, the noise. To the people at Babylon, it looked like Nebuchadnezzar was in charge. But to Ezekiel, it looked like God was in charge. So how do we apply something like this to our lives? What can you guys get out of this? Any of you have any storms going on in your lives today? Any of you wrestling with things? Any of you looking like the, looking around and saying, wow, the world's kind of in control? Well, then my comment to you would be look up. Look way up. Above the cherubim. To the throne. To the man that's sitting on it. Like the, like the, like the image of a man. We have that assurance because of the word of God. And because of Ezekiel's vision he was able to send out this message that he's going to have for the rest of us. We see in verse 24, the voice of the Almighty is, a, is heard above the babble of the noise of the world. And that's what we have to be careful of is to listen to that. And we see the rainbow that encircled him. Don't you usually see a rainbow after the storm? Ezekiel sees the rainbow in the storm. And when we look at a rainbow, don't we usually see an ark? If you read this carefully, you'll see that this rainbow is a circle. It's the first full circle encircling the whole heavenly scene of what he's being, what he's being shown. And it's the sign of God's grace. We should mention the four different faces. Most of the scholars think that they do represent uh, the Gospels and the way that Jesus presented himself. So let me go through those with you. And the, on the right side was a lion talking about the kingship of God, the Messiah, and the Jews were looking for a king and a Messiah, and that is represented from the book of Matthew. On the left side was an ox, a servant, and that's what Jesus was. He was here to serve, and that's represented to us in the book of Mark. In the, in the front was a man, humanity, even calls himself the Son of Man, and that is Luke. And then the eagle, the deity, the Son of God, is the book of John. And so we see those four representations. There are other places in the Bible, but they seem to be consistent and consistent with the way the gospel was printed out. In that last verse, we see that he saw, he fell, and then he heard a voice. We're going to see that Ezekiel saw and heard, or what he saw and heard will be the foundation for what he speaks to the people in Babylon the realization of an awesome God. May we read and study and learn. So it's going to be important for you after tonight to really read through the chapters because I, my intention is not to read you too much of the passages like I did tonight, but I thought it was important that we understood the vision and that we understand his calling. But you're going to be on your own. We have reading charts, so you'll need to do your reading. Because I'm going to take a few minutes and summarize the reading so that you all feel like, well, it's worth it to read because he mentioned the chapters that we went through. But then try to pick out some things, some gleanings that will speak to our hearts, speak to our ways of life, and things that we can use today as we go through the book of Ezekiel. So in chapter 2 and 3, we're looking at the call of Ezekiel. After the vision comes the voice of God. 
the personal call in chapter 2 through the third chapter. And I'm just going to highlight a, a few things. In verse 2, he starts off by using a term called the Son of Man. It's going to be used 90 times in the book of Ezekiel. The term means literally an actual man. In the Hebrew, it's Ben Adam, or the man of the dust. Going all the way back to creation, when God breathed into Adam life and created Adam. Daniel uses it in chapter 7, verses 13 and 40, clearly referring to the Messiah. Ezekiel uses it referring to himself. Jesus uses it referring to himself about 80 times in the gospel. Son of man, emphasizing his mission. Jesus' mission was to come and to bring the message of salvation to us. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost, we read in Luke. So we see that Ezekiel's message is, to bring, is also going to call himself the Son of Man. In verse 2, it's also interesting that the Spirit entered when he spoke and he heard. So often it's important for us to invite the Holy Spirit into our study of the Word, into our listening to God. We sometimes don't hear from Him because we haven't really invited His Spirit in. We want the Spirit of God to enter in. And then sending Ezekiel to a rebellious house. Isn't this a great ministry? Can you imagine if I took one of the young pastors and said, The Spirit has entered into you, and He has spoke to you and sent me and the feet, and I've heard you, and I'm going to send you, in verse 3, uh, the Son of Man, I am sending you to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation that rebelled against me and their fathers and their transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impotent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus saith the Lord God. That's another thing that I think it's important for us to grasp, is you're going to see that term, Thus saith the Lord God. Going back to the importance of that vision in his life, Ezekiel now has this assurance to speak in the name of the Lord. So in verses 7 and 8, he speaks God's word to him, and it points out to us that it doesn't really make any difference to um, him if they respond or don't respond. His call is to give them the word of God. My call, Brandon's call, John's call, is to give you the word of God. The Holy Spirit's job is to take that and to move it around in your heart and to do something with it. For the non-believer, it's our job to present the gospel to you and allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to a place of salvation, a place of understanding. So he says to him, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Don't be rebellious, but I want you to open your mouth and eat it. And this is interesting because this is something we're going to see. So let's pick it up at about verse 6. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, Though briars and thorns are with you and you dwell among scorpions, do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. We're going to find out that the reason they weren't too happy with Ezekiel is he was telling them that this was going to happen and they're going to have to wait it out. Other false prophets were going around telling them, don't worry about it, we're going to go back to uh, Jerusalem. There's still a few people up there, everything's going to be fine, so don't, don't worry, let's just have a good time here. But Ezekiel is going to point out to him, no, that's not going to be what's happened. Jeremiah was doing the same thing. Verse 7, you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like the rebellious house 
Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was in his hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of the book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and the outside, and writing on it was lamentations and mourning and woe. And so here's this book that he's being passed out. In verse, chapter 3, verse 1, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. So I ate and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Eat the, eat the food. Um, so important for us to take and get a grasp on the Word of God, to really dwell it. I doubt that what's happening here is that uh, Ezekiel is literally eating the scroll with some ketchup on it. Mm -hmm. That's not what's going on, okay? What's happening here is he's saying, this has to come and be part of you. It has to become into your guts. Throughout the Bible, they sometimes say your belly is the inner part of you. It's, the mo it's that part of the soul where things really happen. And so that's where we need to get the Word of God. Open your mouth and eat it. In verses uh, 9 through chapter 3, 3, he tells of him seeing the scroll, the writing on it, and to eat it. It was sweet. From, chapter, from verse 4 to 15... He says, go tell it to the house of Israel. And that's what he's going to do. And we see a progression here with what's happening in this calling. First, there was the vision. Then he fell on his face. Then he was told to stand up and listen to God. And now he's told to go and tell it to the house of Israel. So it's very, very active here. In verse 10, he says, son of man, receive into your heart all my words. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, Receive into your heart all my words, and I will speak to you and hear with your ears. The Spirit lifts him up in verse 12. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice. Blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. Verse 13. I also heard, and the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another, and the noise of the wheels besides them, and a great thunderous noise. Verse 14, so the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went, to, I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Lifted up by the Spirit. Don't we often need that? And isn't it great when it happens? When things have been bad, things have been tough, we've gone through times, and we get lifted up. Well, that's what's happening to Ezekiel. He still hears this great noise and this great um, commotion going on before him. But he says, blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. Not from his place where Ezekiel's at. Not from Babylon. Not by the river where he's talking to these people. Not even in the capital of Babylon where Daniel is or in, Jer in uh, Jerusalem where Jeremiah is still te teaching or preaching to the people that the end is coming. But from his place, from God's place, this great noise said, Blessed is the glory of the Lord. Note in verse 13 that he heard the noise of the creature's wings, the wheels, and the thunderous noise. Obvious that he was being repeated here, that this was a very noisy situation. Something was going on. And so he, he, had, he had a lot of proof for this. But again, in verse 14, the Spirit lifted him up and took him away. 
The New American Standard Bible translates this uh, a, little, a little better, I think. Uh, it said, he was embittered in rage of his spirit. And so you can feel Ezekiel's really embittered, that he, he's, he's angry. He's, he's out for the message he is delivering. He has a tough message to take to the people, but he has to take it. And that's why God is telling him here, I'm going to give you my words. I want you to hear them. I want you to eat them. I want you to get them inside of you because I want you to go out and I want you to give these words to the people. In verse 15, he was so astonished that he had to sit down at the river for seven days. Now, remember, he's a priest. And so if you want to really have fun, those of you who want to dig a little deeper in this study, go back and read the vision and put on your, your rabbi hats. Read it as if you were a priest. Take a look at it from that perspective. And then something as simple as the hoof of an animal that's mentioned in the vision will have great meaning. So there's a lot of things that are going on here, a lot of uh, mystic things that were taking place as this was going on. But he was so astonished by the vision that he had to go and he had to sit down for seven days. Seven days is the number of days of purification for a priest. The first seven days of their service was something they had to set aside. Coincidence, or maybe that's what he was, or was he just overwhelmed and just couldn't even begin to say, you guys don't get it. You guys are sitting here belly aching about Babylon. You're sitting here saying, hey, man, the IRS is after me, and I lost my job, and I can't pay my rent, all these kinds of things. And Ezekiel's saying, you don't get it. I just saw God. I just saw the throne. I just saw the cherubim. And it was noisy, and all this was happening. And he couldn't even talk to him for seven days. He sits there in silence. So the awesomeness of God has given him a, ch a chance to put his message together. Maybe he just needed to be still to comprehend it. So often when we get a flash of light from the Lord, when something happens, somebody gives us, so he gives us something, a nugget of truth from his word, we run right out and start blabbing at the people. I wonder what would happen if we just took it and hung on to it for a little bit, just really dwelled on it, really kind of just let it sit in before we started to share it. We might find that we were a little too insensitive when we were out there blabbing it to everybody and telling them what God had revealed to you. Maybe we needed to, to just soften it down a little bit. It says, I sat where they sat. That is so important. A couple weeks ago, we talked about compassion, the importance of us having compassion. The word compassion means come with passion. If I feel your passion, I'm supposed to come with you and get into your passion. He's sitting with them by the river for seven days, and they're telling their stuff. So important. So important to seek to sit in another person's place. To catch the feelings. To catch the fears. The anxieties that they were going through. As he sat there, beginning to understand their plight. Understanding is a key to compassion. Sometimes when people are hurting around us, all they need is somebody to sit with them. They don't need somebody to come and give them all the answers of life. They just need somebody to come, hold their hand, a shoulder to lean on, something to comfort them. So understand. So, a couple things for us to get out of this. The importance of feeding on the Word of God. The importance of feeding on the Word of God. This great vision, then the voice comes and says, eat the scroll. And in this case, is for Ezekiel to take it in. 
In Jeremiah 15:6, we read, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me joy and rejoicing of heart, for I am calling by for I am for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. John in Revelation 10 said, So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it, eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book, and out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many people, many nations, many tongues, and many kings. And then, of course, he goes into the prophecies of the end of times. Jesus, in Matthew 4, said, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So important for us to take in the Word of God, to really understand it. And the only way that we can do that is by reading it, by studying it, by digging a little deeper, and by being challenged. That's why we have Bible college, and that's why we have Bible studies, and that's why we have Sunday night Bible study, and that's why some of you go to your churches. But it's important that we eat it. It's important that we take it in. It's important that it becomes a part of us. The second thing I think that was important in what we saw was going on with Ezekiel is setting your face to do God's will. I bet you if you asked Noreen when she first started getting called to her current ministry, she was a little bit nervous. I remember the early talk that we had when it was just getting started in that open house day. What have I gotten myself into? But it is so important that we set our face to do his will. Let's look at chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Behold, I have made your face strong against their faces. God speaking to Ezekiel says, I have made your face strong against their faces and your forehead strong against their forehead. Like adamant stone, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they may, that they are a rebellious house. Isaiah said it like this, For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be discouraged, therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. It is so important when the Lord has called us to any type of service or ministry that we set our face towards it. That's what he's telling Ezekiel to do. I'm going to harden your face so that you can accomplish the job because it's going to be tough. The people are going to be against you. They're going to be criticizing you. They're going to be doubting you. And so he says, I'm going to harden your face. Jesus said it like this. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. So whatever your calling, whatever your ministry is, Set your, set your face to do the will of God. And then the third thing I want you to look at is in um, verse 17 of chapter 3. Guys, men, men, I want you guys to look up. I want you to pay attention to this, okay? Got it, Dave? 
Okay, okay, I want you to listen to this. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Now, you know I like this thing about taking the name of Israel out because it's a, it's a, it's a type in the Bible of Christians and sticking my name in there. So, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Ezekiel or for the house of Mike. Okay, that would be the way I read it. Son of man. You can say that's speaking of, oh, that's speaking of Ezekiel. Or that's talking about Jesus. Remember that I said it meant an actual man? Ben Adam? It's the, it's the man of the dust? Well, that's all of us, and especially us guys. You know, you are the watchman of your home, men. You have a responsibility there that sometimes we're just a little bit shaky on. Sometimes... We say, well, you know what? I'm just a little too busy. I'm going to let my wife do it. Guys, you're the watchman of your home. You have that responsibility. Well, she knows the better Bible than I do. Shame on you guys. Then you get in the Word. You eat the Word. You know the Word. And you get to the place to where you're the watchman of your home. Do you know, guys, even in a fellowship like this, because we're all part of the body of Christ, we're all members with each other? And now, ladies, this is where I count on you a lot, and I get some good feedback from you, sometimes good and sometimes when I mess up. You're all watchmen, too, because if you're dwelling in the Word of God, if you're paying attention to the Word of God, if you're sticking in the Word of God, you're going to come up and tell me, hey, you know what, why don't you go check your theology out on that verse or that thing? And we may disagree. But I'm going to go check it out because I trust you, because I know you're eating his word and you're caring about it. And there may be times when we have debates on different issues. That's okay, as long as we do it respectfully and love. And there might even be times when, sure, some of us in here will differ from others on a certain aspect of what the Bible says. But that's what it's all about. We're going to be watchmen. Do you know that we are watchmen for our nation? We know what the word of God says and we are to be watchmen for it. Now, when we're in here and we're all talking about, you know, our nation and how things are going or not going and so forth, you know, we're, we're really preaching to the choir. It's out there. We've got to get the message out. We've got, to, we've got to get this word out. And that's what Ezekiel is being told. The Lord is telling Ezekiel, look, I've given you my word. I want you to feed on it. Now go out and give it to others. That's what he's telling them. It says, this will happen to those who do wicked things. If you tell them my words and they continue, their blood will be on their hand. This is where he goes on about blood guiltness. But if you don't tell them my word and they continue, their blood will be on your hands. We have a responsibility as watchmen to spread the gospel, to tell people the gospel. If you have a neighbor, you have somebody in your family, someone that you haven't shared the gospel with and they die, their blood says it's going to be on your hands, okay? So I think it's important that you make sure to share them. If you tell them, you're done. That's all you have to do. We're only told to go out and give the word out. You don't have to convert them. You don't have to worry about it once you've given the gospel out. So the duty of being a watchman is very heavy. Later in chapter 33, we're going to find out this concept is expanded. And the main duty of that watchman is to sound the alarm, to let people know you're going down the wrong path, you're going the wrong way. But Paul said it this way, he said, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole gospel and the whole counsel of God. 
For us today, we are to be watchmen in our families, in our church, and in our nation. So let's go back and examine the vision one more time. For a person that's in exile right now, the national outlook is at its darkest. It's just about over. It's after Jerusalem's second siege, much of the population has been dispersed and carried away. And God unveils himself in a most majestic and awesome vision to Ezekiel. Powerful vision, strong vision, awesome vision. So much so that he has to come down and wait seven days before he can even start to tell the message that he has. Awesome vision. He is just dwelling on this thing. Some of you might say to me, wow, if that happened to me, if I went out here tonight and looked out the back where the gym's going to be shortly, and I saw this vision of these wheels with eyes in them and angels with big wings and fire and lightning and so on and so forth, well, then I would have confidence and hope because I would see the power of God. But we really should realize that all that was expressed by Ezekiel, the whirlwind, the fire, the lightning, the living creatures, the wheels, the awesome noise, the voice of God, the living spirit, all of that was more clearly expressed to us by the revelation of God's love through his son, the incarnation of God becoming flesh, Jesus dwelling among us, should be even more reason for us to have confidence and hope. Ezekiel's vision's a great thing. But Jesus in you, the hope of glory, a much greater thing. Don't ever give up on that. Know that you have Jesus in your heart.